Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Nevertheless, Christ lives with me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who, lived her, who loves me and gave himself for me. This is the word of the Lord. When God made man and woman, he breathed his breath into them. This act of breathing into them was more than oxygen. It was God placing his very spirit, placing himself inside man and woman. They were containers holding God's presence. However, man and woman defied God and sinned. They turned against God by their rebellion. Sin cannot share the same space with God, and so God removed his spirit from them. Knowing that they were designed to be filled, mankind tried to fill itself with anything it could find. Pleasure, power, fame, riches. But these only led them deeper into death. Then, a baby was born, who was fully God, but fully human. He grew into a man. And this man, who had God's spirit in him, paid the price for their sins and covered their death with his payment, which was his blood. Once that blood washed them and cleansed them, they became a place that God could fill again. Now, whenever anyone makes a decision to surrender to him, God breathes his spirit back into them so that they may know him and be in him. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news that Jesus is for us. Well, good morning, church. Hey, if, uh, if you've got kids that you've been waiting to get out of here, now's the time. Uh, you can march them down the hall to programming for them. And good morning and welcome to week one of CIY Move. Usually that'd be day one, uh, but, but here we are. Uh, we want to give you, as best we can, a, a peek behind the curtain at, at what our, our high school students experience every uh, summer. And so uh, we're bringing in uh, some more material from our time at MOVE this last summer, and our theme is Nevertheless. Now, true to form, we're going to get started with some audience participation today, okay? So I'm going to uh, call a few people up here. You're being voluntold to do this, okay? Uh, I need JC Cousins, I need Caleb Bailey, I need Mark Lewis, and I need John Eden uh, to come join me on stage. Uh, let's give them a hand. I thought about asking for volunteers, but this is a room full of adults, and we would have all turned and looked other places other than my eyes. So uh, let's just, let's get spread out here. Um, JC, I'm going to have you just hold this for me for a minute. You don't need to do anything with it yet. Um, here's what we're doing, okay? We're, we're talking about this idea of nevertheless, and nevertheless is a word that connects two things that don't seem like they should belong to each other. Okay, so one of the ways that we're going to illustrate this to start, JC knows what's coming. Uh, these three don't. Uh, there are some very unique food combinations uh, that we might say those two things do not belong to each other. Uh, they, they, they should be nowhere near each other. But nevertheless, 
they're not half bad. So we're going to do a little, a little tasting uh, here on stage, and then what I'd like for you to do is just in one word, give us your review of that food combination. Does that make sense? We're, the first thing we're going to start with, um, have uh, America's favorite cookie, okay? Uh, by the way, if you buy Oreos and you're not buying double stuffed, um, you're not a member of this church. So there, there it is. Uh, Aaron was trying to give us some, some light on what makes a member. That's it. Okay, so I'm going to have you grab an Oreo. Just one, just one. Now, uh, you, can, you can choose how you doctor this up here in a moment. If you're a splitter, like if you like to open up your Oreo uh, and, and, and then dunk two sections in milk, that's great. So if that's what you normally do, uh, here's our first nevertheless combination. Um, and so we're going to put a little mustard on our Oreo, okay? Brand new mustard. This is not mustard that I bought four years ago that still sits in the youth ministry fridge. Okay, this is brand new. Only the good stuff. And uh, we're going to put it on the top. Is that good? You want more? Okay, all right. Okay, not a lot. Maybe a little bit more. Okay. Let's see, John. That's good? Oh, I'm sorry. It's got a mind of its own. All right. There we go. All right. For those of you who are vetting elder candidates, remember, Mark is up for uh, a vote next week. All right, <clears throat> so here's what we're going to do. Uh, take your bite. You can consume the whole thing or just a bite, and then let's get our one-word review. Ready? Go. JC, all the way. Just a lot of different facial expressions. Do we bring a trash can uh, around on stage? I'll clear out a bag here. That's all right. We'll make it. Oh, there it is. Just in case. Just in case. Yikes. All right. Give me, give me your one-word review. You got two. That's all allow it. Yeah. Not terrible. Not terrible. Okay. Yeah. We'll take it. Terrible. Okay. <laughs> Better than expected. Better than expected. Wrong. Wrong. I like that. I like that. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Our, our next combination here. Here's your own little personal peanut butter. All right. Welcome back to grade school lunches. And, um, uh, just go ahead and pop the top on that peanut butter. And then what you're going to do is grab your own little uh, dill spear here. And in a second, I'll have you get a scoop of peanut butter on the pickle. All right. Bon appetit, everybody. Let's, let's, get, let's get it going. JC's just a full send every time. This is good. Caleb, I think you just licked the peanut butter off the pickle. <laughs> Cheater. Not good? All right. Mark, you start us with a one-word review on that end. I gotta think on this one. Okay, pray about it a little bit, maybe. Um, sweet vegetable. Sweet vegetable. Okay. Never again. Never again. Terrible. Terrible. Also terrible. Also terrible. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Let's uh, let's cleanse our palate a little bit. I'm gonna have you hold that for me. Cleanse our palate a little bit. Uh, we've got some Chips Ahoy Chewy Cookies. 
okay? This one, is, I've done this a couple times, this, this whole exercise. This one's actually my favorite, okay? So we're gonna grab a cookie here. Now normally we would dip cookies in milk, as God intended, right? But today, we've got a little, uh, little something extra, a little something different. Now this is low acid. I don't know why, that's just what was available on the shelf. A little orange juice. Does anybody not like orange juice, just in general? Everyone's good with it? Okay. I, I didn't care, I just wanted to know. Uh, yeah, might not after this. Okay, get a good long dunk. There it is. All right, that's good. All right. Good long dunk. Okay, Caleb, we're going to have to. All right. There we go. Still, that's all right. It adds to the experience. All right. Give it a try. Yeah, it's not bad. Pretty good. All right. So, just pour myself a drink. Okay, what do we think? One word review. Oh, wait, we got, we got time. Awful. <laughs> good. Good, okay. Good. Good. Pleasant. Pleasant, all right. Okay, the last one, the last one might be the most fun. And this is the one that actually kind of makes sense. A little uh, whipped cream cheese spread here. Um, JC, would you open that up for me? And then we're just going to, we're going to use as our vehicle to deliver the cream cheese a flaming Hot Cheeto. Okay? Now, does anybody in the room actually like flaming Hot Cheetos? Or is this just a thing we eat to impress our friends in middle school? Okay. Just grab one. Grab one. Scoop it in there, and then I'll, I'll carry this down and let everybody, there you go. All right. You like flaming Hot Cheetos? You do? Okay. You like cream cheese? Ah, okay. I'm more excited about the cream cheese than the flaming Hot Cheetos. More excited about the cream cheese, okay. I'm wondering how many people out there are really glad I didn't call them up here. Yeah. By the way, if any of you want to stick around for second service, I'm looking for some more help. Okay. Last one, nevertheless, here we go. Mark's gonna start us with his one word review. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. <laughs> I have a lot of questions, we don't have time, okay. It's somehow bland, even though they're like the strongest flavors apart. Okay. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. Interesting, is that what you said? Never, never again. Never again. Okay, hey, can we give it up uh, for our volunteers this morning? Thanks for playing. You guys can head back to your seats.
let's get to preaching. Hey, uh, Kendall came up here and read from Galatians 2.20 for us a few minutes ago. If I could, could I have you guys stand and let's read that aloud together. Here it is. This is the words of Paul, and this is the verse that will anchor the entirety of this series in. Let's read it together. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Nevertheless, Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the word of the Lord. So we're, we're going to spend time uh, talking about this idea of nevertheless. There's two things that don't seem like they should go together, and really that is Jesus and us. Jesus who is holy and perfect and complete and who did the will of the Father even when he had opportunities not to, and us who are broken and sinful, who find ourselves in despair and in disrepair, who when we are offered to do the will of God, we tend to do our own thing. The two things that don't seem like they should go together are us and Jesus. Now, all of us find ourselves in this same position. As Paul says in Romans chapter 3, we've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. There's not one of us who lives above the line. And so we all are in this same precarious place that we do not have a standing when it comes to our place with God outside of Jesus. But here's the thing that we need to think about today. Um, We're going to focus on actually the very end of that verse. At the very end of Galatians 2.20, Paul says that Jesus, this Jesus, is the one who loves us and gave himself for us. Very simply, the one thing we want to walk out of here thinking about today is that Jesus is for us us. Jesus is for us. We are undeserving. Nevertheless, Jesus is for us. Now, there's a bit of a double entendre here. There's a bit of a double meaning when it comes to this word for, F-O-R, and I just want to take the next few minutes of our time talking about some of our struggles in believing that Jesus could be for us. The first definition that we find for the word for in our English language is this, in support of or in favor of. The second would be this, on behalf of or to the benefit of. Let's let's camp out for just a minute in that first idea, that first definition, in support of or in favor of. We tend to doubt that Jesus could be in support of us. Some of us find ourselves in that position even now. Maybe even if we uh, have been a part of a church or have been uh, familiar with faith for a long time, there's a part of us that still sees ourselves as not having been worthy enough for God to be good to us. Like, maybe it's true for other people. Maybe, of of course, this person over here, based on the way that they live, things that they do, and how consistent they are with all of these various things, but me... And I, I'm, I'm broken. I'm, I'm a mess. I don't deserve Jesus. And so therefore, like Jesus, of course Jesus is for these people over here, but he is, he's not for me because I've not always been for him. We tend to doubt because we see ourselves as a failure. We have failed God. Failure is the first reason that we doubt that Jesus could be for us. And there's all kinds of reasons 
that we see ourselves as failures. I've made a mess of my life. I'm not holy enough. I don't pray like I should. I'm not always patient or kind or loving. I don't always desire the good of others. I have an addiction. What I've done or what has been done to me makes me feel dirty. And that's just my list. But I've got good news. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are saved by grace through faith. That this is not from ourselves so that none of us could boast. It's not from works, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead for us to do. See, salvation was God's idea from beginning to end, and really our part in it is non-existent. We simply choose to accept the good gift that God has on offer. It's never been about what we could do for God. It's always been about what has been done for us. In 1987, there was a commuter flight that left Portland, Maine on its way to Boston. The pilot's name was Henry Dempsey. And during the flight, alarms began to sound in the cockpit, and so the pilot made his way to the back of the aircraft to inspect what might be wrong. And as he's journeying to the back of the aircraft, there's a a bump in the air, and it throws him against the rear door, and that's how he discovers the problem. The rear door was not latched, and it throws him out of the airplane. And so he, in desperation, grabs onto the last thing he could, and he's clinging to the ladder, holding onto the ladder 4,000 feet above the ground, traveling at 200 miles an hour. The co-pilot's thinking, man, he's been gone for a while, and realizes what had happened. And so prepares to make an emergency landing, and Henry Dempsey flew for several minutes like he's Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, hanging on to the outside of an airplane, and somehow narrowly avoids, onlookers say, by just a few inches, his head, because he's hanging upside down, hitting the runway as the plane lands. This is just an incredible picture of what it means to understand that Jesus is for us. Because this is faith. Dempsey, who was thrown out of an airplane, clung tightly to the last thing that he could. The only thing that would keep him safe. This is who Jesus is for us. There is no part of this in which we save ourselves or muster up enough effort or achievement. For those of us who see ourselves as a failure, let me be the first to tell you that the overtone of the Bible That the gospel message is simply this, I can't, but he did, and because he did, I can. We cling tightly to Jesus as the only one who could deliver us from death to life. Salvation has never been about what you do or what has been done to you. It is about what has been done for you. The second reason that we tend to doubt is because of fear. Somehow all of this, this message of Jesus, this good gift of God that is free and does not require anything of us, it just, it seems too good to be true. Like, and if we're being honest, if we're being realistic in the room, there's many of us, we've been burned by people we trust. People who should have been for us who were not. People who should have had our best in mind, who abused or neglected or mistreated or did not handle our lives well. And so we have a trust issue. 
we have some fear in our hearts. There's apprehension when it comes to placing our lives in God's hands and trusting that Jesus could be good enough. We struggle with fear. It just seems too good to be true. But, but faith is, is all about moving from what if to even if. And when we learn to take steps with Jesus, we learn what that means. That we're no longer afraid of what might be because we're clinging to the one who we know can get us there. But this is a struggle. Like, how can we trust someone that we cannot see? How can we really believe that he's good? Maybe you're not a trusting person or you've been hurt by people before and really, man, you can only trust what you test. You can only trust what you test. And so uh, a, a few days ago, my wife wanted to buy a new uh, watch band for her watch, and she was looking at some watches on, on Amazon, and, and she was like, do you think this one is, is any good? And I was like, honestly, I have, I have no idea. Did you read any of the reviews? And she goes, oh, that's a great idea. It's like, yes, it's a great idea. How are you not reading any of the reviews? And here's the thing. Did you know we can read the reviews on Jesus? Like, like maybe we haven't put ourselves in a position to totally trust him yet, but Millions of other people have. Like there were, there were 12 guys who followed Jesus around for a long time. Didn't end well for one of them, but for 11 others, it ended up pretty good. And, and they write about their experience with walking with the living God. There's, there's reviews on Jesus. We can see that they trust him because their faith had been tested. There's some, some different moments. I'm thinking about John chapter 4. Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman at the well, and he begins to have this dialogue with her, and she begins to quickly realize this, this man is God because he knows way more about me than I've ever told anyone else. And he says some, like, some difficult things to her. They're having this conversation, and he says, go and get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with now is not your husband. And Jesus brings to light her source of shame. And there's a moment where she's beginning to wrestle with like, am I okay with living in the light? Like laying everything in front of Jesus. And Jesus totally changes her life. This simple encounter with Jesus totally transformed the life of this woman. And she immediately runs to the town, to the village, to the place where she didn't want anyone to know her dirt. That she was trying to conceal her shame from. And she runs to all of them. And this is what she said. Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He knows everything about me and I'm no longer afraid to live in the light. Her, her review on Jesus is, is more than five stars. I think about the apostle Peter. Peter who has maybe the most rocky and checkered history of all the disciples. Like Peter who's the first to stand up and boldly proclaim something and then immediately put his foot in his mouth. Peter who said, I'll never betray you, Jesus. And Peter, who, when the rooster crowed, was the one denying that he ever knew him. Peter is the one whose life, after seeing the resurrected Jesus, Peter goes from scaredy cat, who runs and hides when Jesus is arrested, to after the ascension, Peter's the one standing up on the day of Pentecost, preaching, boldly proclaiming the truth of Jesus, no longer afraid of what anyone else can do to him. And the Sanhedrin, the religious officials at the time, they call Peter and his friend John in, and they're like, hey, you have to stop talking about Jesus. And, and I'm, I'm sort of characterizing this because I think this is how Peter receives it. Because he's like, dude, I don't care. 
Like you can, you can say whatever you want to me. We will not stop talking about the things that we've seen and heard. Peter goes from scaredy cat to bold lion in a matter of a few years. I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul, who formerly was the artist known as Saul, right? And, and so he's a Pharisee, he's this religious leader, and he's going around persecuting Christians, pulling them out of their homes, killing them because they profess faith in Jesus and has this miraculous encounter on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears to him. He's like, why are you doing this to me? And Saul's like, wait, what? What, what, what is going on? And he has this moment of uh, this period of blindness, and after he recovers, he realizes what has happened to him, becomes a full on convert into the way, the way of Jesus, and then becomes the greatest missionary the world had ever known. And Paul, who goes out into all different places like Corinth and Galatia and Ephesus and Rome, and in Romans chapter 1, he simply writes this I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation for those who believe. Like the reviews on Jesus. Maybe you've had a hard time trusting him, but over and over and over again. These are just the examples from the Bible. We could go around this room. And man, I wish we had time. We should do that sometime. Just sit in a room and talk about how Jesus has transformed our lives. It would serve us well. It's hard to trust Jesus. But here's maybe the most important reason we should trust him. Because Jesus is not afraid to put himself in our shoes. See, all other world religions, every other system of belief, every other framework for religious practice works as a one-way street. Here's the ladder, and everything you do is another rung up. You get to climb the ladder, and maybe someday you'll achieve right standing with whoever the deity is. Do enough good things, pray enough right prayers, Make sure you practice your religion faithfully and perfectly, and then someday you'll be good enough for God. And that's not the message of the gospel. See, the message of the gospel is this. We were broken and destitute and in disrepair, and we have no standing with God. We have no business being in the same sentence as Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, you climb the ladder and get up to me. Jesus comes down the ladder and comes to us. In the 1920s, there was a man named Dr. Evan O'Neill Kane, and, and he was famous for his belief that uh, general anesthesia was not needed for every surgery. He was a proud proponent of local anesthesia, and there were many who doubted him. Like, no one wants to be cut open while you're still awake, amen, <laughs> right? I'm not, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying this guy did, and so to prove his point, he performed surgery on himself. He, he filled himself up with Novocaine, and the man re re removed his own appendix. Propped up by a nurse, he's looking at his own stomach, cut himself open, had done the surgery 4,000 other times, and now did it to himself. And this is what Jesus does for us. The doctor becomes the patient. He puts on skin and steps into our mess and climbs up on a cross in a way of saying, listen, all the sin that should sit on your shoulders, I'll take it. I will do that. We can trust Jesus because he's not afraid to step into our shoes. Now, I, I need to say this as well because I, I, when we use this word for, in support of, um, this is not saying that Jesus is making a wholesale affirmation of us. 
right? Like there's something implicit within the text. We needed to be rescued. So in saying that Jesus is for us, it's not saying that anything you do or any way you choose to live has God's stamp of approval. That's not consistent with the scriptures and it's not what Paul's communicating here. Jesus is not for the sin-soiled version of me, but he is for the spirit-filled version of me. Not the one who's made a wreck of their life, but the one through whom Christ will redeem life. We define love based on the actions of Jesus. We don't define Jesus based on our shallow definition of love. Jesus is not a live and let live kind of guy. Jesus is not a you do you kind of guy. Jesus is not a you do what makes you happy kind of guy. Jesus is not a live your truth kind of guy. He is the truth. And when you know him, it sets you free. Paul begins his letter to the church in Galatia in verse four of chapter one. He says, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. We needed to be rescued, pulled out of the place we're in, not saying the place you're in is fine, you don't need to worry about a thing. He's not here to affirm our fallen nature, but to clothe us in a new nature. Paul, in Colossians chapter 3, says this, So you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now Put away all of the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. See, I think, I think sometimes we make this mistake of differentiating between having sinned and being in sin. Like for, for many of us, we simply see sin as this thing that sits on the scales, and if we can simply balance it out enough with doing enough right things, then it somehow makes up for the sin we've committed, and that's just not the context of the scriptures. That has never been how God has expressed sin to his people. No, sin is something that we get caught up in. Paul uses the analogy of clothing, that it's like something that we wear, and we couldn't take it off even if we wanted to that we get tangled up in it and it now becomes just this thing that it, it becomes who we are. And so we have to strip it away. Jesus is not for the wholesale affirmation of you. Jesus is not a desperate boyfriend. Jesus is calling us into new life. Why do we tend to doubt that we need Jesus to be for us? To, to be for us? This is maybe the, the more pertinent one for some of us in the room. This is certainly the one that I've wrestled with most of my life. This different definition of the word for, that, that Jesus is, is for us, in, in support of us. Of course he is, because I'm awesome. <laughs> but then there's this different definition that, that we need him to be on our behalf. And it's like, eh, no, I've done some pretty good things, God. We, we begin with this false premise 
And we doubt that we need Jesus to be for us because we have this false idea in our minds of who we are and what we need. I'm good, <laughs> and, and surely that makes me right with God. And, and then, then we would ask the question, like, well, how do you know that you're good? And we would define it this way, or we would simply say this, well, I'm not bad, <laughs> so therefore I must be good. It's like, well, how do you know you're not bad? And then we, we run through this little exercise, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm better than that guy over there. I, I've not cheated on my wife. I've not stolen this money. I've not done this. Th- like, whatever it is, like, I'm better than them, so therefore, I'm doing okay. I, I'm, I'm accepting of others. I, I, I allow them, like, live and let live. It's good. I, I, I'm not condemnational. Or I'm not judgmental. I don't say harsh things to other people, and I just kind of, I let Jesus love them, and that's great. So, so I'm, I'm accepting of others, and therefore, I must be pretty good. And, and, and then we have this, this idea that somehow in our minds, the good things that we do add up to the totality of our salvation. Somehow, if we just keep doing good and right things, that that earns us right standing with God. And that's just not the gospel. The gospel from beginning to end is, I can't, he did. And because he did, I can. And there's no part of me that measures up to the place that God puts me. And we think we're really good, simply because we're not bad. And that's not it. Maybe an, another reason that we tend to doubt that we need Jesus to be for us is, is because we've, we've only ever viewed Jesus as this faith accessory. That he's this companion to the life that, that we're living. We've been convinced there, there's no cost to following the way. There's only this value add. And so whatever we read in the scriptures or whatever we experience in church, it's to your benefit. It's all about the individual. It's a very postmodern ideology. That life is about you. It's really me-ology. That whatever I want, whatever desires I have, whatever dreams I have, Jesus is here to serve those things. So however much money I want to make, whatever I want my career to end up as, whatever kind of success or house I want to own or car I want to drive, all of these things, Jesus is here to serve me. And we've only ever viewed Jesus through that lens, and Jesus is just like, I want no part of that. In fact, when when people start to think that way, Jesus will rebuke them by saying, away from me, I never knew you. And man, that should be a sobering reality for us this morning. Jesus is not here to serve our ends. Sidekick Jesus is not one that we find in the Bible. This actually is just Christian Buddhism. In this estimation, Jesus is just the magic dust that I sprinkle on my life. And man, that's just so shallow. It's so hollow. Like no no wonder young people leave the church as soon as they move from home and go to college. Because we don't actually want to live that kind of life. Like what we're actually interested in is what's worth it. And, And to follow Jesus, to follow the Jesus of the scriptures comes at cost. You must lay down your life. And to understand that Jesus is for us means that we get the opportunity to live into his plan and purpose and the place that he has prepared for us. The cost to being his disciple is real and it's weighty, but it is worth it. There is no greater life to embrace than one fully surrendered to Jesus.
He is for you. So don't doubt him. He is for you. You can trust him, even if you're afraid. He is for you, so forget your goodness. He is for you, so submit to him. We are undeserving. Nevertheless, Jesus is for us. How do you know someone is for you? By what they show you. Remember a, a time when I was in, in college, it was my second year in school, and I was preparing to drive a friend's car home um, with her, and, and we were headed back home to Springfield, Illinois, where I was from, and we're on the highway, uh, driving up 44 through Missouri, and I'm in the right lane, and that lane is about to end, and we can see it coming, and so I know I've got a small window, there's a semi behind me, there's, there's traffic up front, and so I punch it to get over, and then I, I, I do my best uh, to slam on the brakes, because as soon as I had punched it, all the other cars in front of me had just stopped. <laughs> this is a perfect storm of terror, right? And so as I'm getting over, I slam on the brakes, but it wasn't soon enough. I rear end the car right in front of me. Not in my car. They're friends. So I'm like, oh my, like what am I going to do? I'm panicking. I don't have any money. I'm in, I'm in school, right? I have no money to my name. I have no ability to fix this. And, and ultimately, the car was just barely drivable to get home. The, the, we, we made a, a hard taco shell out of the front hood, um, and, and we, we limped it on home. And we get home, and I, I have to tell my dad, right, which is if you've done something stupid or wrong before, the, the hardest person in the world to tell is your dad. So I just say, hey, dad, I, um, I wrecked the car, wrecked my friend's car, and I don't have any way to pay for this. I, 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 have, I have no money. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And my dad uh, didn't spend any time saying, well, did you think about doing this, this, or this? Or why'd you do something so stupid? Or, or don't you know you can't punch it and go over and stand still traffic? You should have waited and for a different opportunity. He spent no time condemning, no time judging, no, no time analyzing. What he did was he got out his checkbook. My dad, who's been in ministry now at the same church for 30 years. I don't know if you know anything about ministry. Doesn't have a whole lot of money. Got out his checkbook wrote a check, put it in an envelope, and took it to my friend's parents. How do you know someone is for you? It's by what they show you. Friends, Jesus is for us. We are undeserving. Nevertheless, Jesus is for us. And how do we know that? Because he's shown us. N.T. Wright says this, the cross is the surest, deepest, truest window into the heart of God. And if there's ever been a moment we've doubted whether or not God loves us, whether he is truly for us, maybe he was for us at a certain part of our lives, we've made such a mess that promise can no longer be true. We look to the cross. We don't look to ourselves to determine whether or not God still loves us. We don't look to ourselves to determine whether or not Jesus is still for us. We look to the cross. It is the surest deepest, truest window into God's heart for his people. So we're going to spend some time in communion. And if you're doing, uh, helping to serve that for us this morning, could you make your way to the back and just get ready? And here's what I'd like us to do. Um, as part of our uh, week of move, we, we would periodically put an image on the screen. Um, and that image is just a collage 
And that, that collage has all different kinds of things on it. And what we're going to do, rather than me try to guide your thoughts into this moment, we're going to ask the Spirit of God to guide each one of us. Kelly, could we put that image on the screen? I don't know if I have it in the right spot. I don't have it in the right spot. In just a minute, I'll go put an image on the screen. Um, and what we'll do is, we'll ask the Spirit of God, would you, would you guide my attention to just one thing on the screen? And then would you help me to understand what you're trying to say to me? Um, the ancients had a practice called Lectio Divina, or divine reading. We've done that sometimes corporately. This is Visio Divina, a divine seeing. We're asking God's Spirit to lead our attention. Because I don't know what promise you need to claim from the Lord today. I, I, don't, I don't know in what specific form or fashion you need to be reminded that He is for you, but I know that God knows how to steer our attention there. And so as you have your communion, would you just direct your attention to the screen and ask God, just bring one thing to my mind. And would you speak to me through that one thing? We'll spend a few moments in communion with, with the Lord, and then we'll close. Father God, I thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he is for us. We are undeserving, and nevertheless, Jesus is for us. So God, help us in our, our moments of doubt or fear. Help us to, to get rid of these false assumptions or premises that we have in our mind. Help us to trust that Jesus is enough. And help us also to believe that we need him. We are undeserving. Nevertheless, you are for us. So we say thank you.